Well, hello there. Welcome on to the RT Soccer Podcast. I'm Adrian Neems. Here we go on the merry-go-round once again. James O'Toole is with us. Coming up, we'll look back on the weekend cup action. Meanwhile, Shamrock Rovers moved six points clear at the top of the league. We look ahead to Ireland against Australia. That friendly international is Vera Pau's side. Gear up for the start of the World Cup qualifying campaign next month. And we'll be chatting to Lee Desmond of St. Pat's as he continues his recovery after a pretty nasty head injury against Watford. Carl Shepherd is with us. Also, the aforementioned James O'Toole. How are you doing, James? Not too bad. Did you enjoy your football over the weekend? Yeah, I think we had a couple of good games, I have to say. I think um, anything, any games that come down to 92nd, 94th, 96th minutes are, are usually good cracking games. And the FEI Cup is always one that gives us uh, a couple of very, very interesting ties. And it was no different than the weekend. Yeah, well, let's run through the results. Get the thoughts of Carl, obviously, in the extra.ie FAI Cup quarterfinals. UCD 2, Waterford 3. UCD twice in front in that game. Colin Whelan and Liam Kerrigan, but Waterford prevailing, winning by three goals to two. Junior, Phoenix Patterson and Prince Mutswanguma. Uh, Prince scoring in the 91st minute, as James mentioned, a late, late winner. Bowes, pretty comprehensive winners over Maynooth University Town by four goals to nil. Buckley, Levingston, Ward, and a first for Bohemians for Roland Adowu. And St. Pat's three, Wexford nil. Pat's with an early sending off with Sam Bone uh, dismissed after just seven minutes. Dara Burns scoring twice, Ronan Coughlin also on the mark. In fact, there were red cards in all of the cup quarterfinals. Uh, Finn Harps three, Dundalk three, sensational game with Dundalk leading by three goals to one Patrick Coobin scoring twice in that game they were three one up they seem to be coasting but Sean Boyd who's had such a tough time with injuries over the last couple of years came off the bench and scored twice in the closing stages on 84 and then in the 95th minute Harps also had Jordan Musto sent off after 28 minutes so Dundalk from a position where they look to be sailing through to the semi-finals forced into a replay which will take place on Tuesday night at Oriel Park. We'll get the thoughts of Carl Shepherd very shortly but let's get reaction to events on Friday night at Finn Park. Very shortly, Vinnie Parthi, the talk manager but first, Ollie Horgan, the Harp Supremo. Hi, look, it was a great cup tie. You know, I think the reality of it is, is that we've only drawn at home and we have to go out to all places on dock in a replay, which is probably the last thing we need with a, a league game in Daily Mount on Friday. Of all places, you're going away to Dundalk. It's whatever our, you know, our, our third game and whatever amount of days. And, you know, we then have to go to Daily Mount to try and survive in this division. So there's, there's pluses and negatives to it, Eric. Uh, hugely proud and, you know, the same with Paul there as regards the comeback and great endeavour. It was kind of rolling back the clock of times of old where, you know, you still up and be counted. But... You know, if we don't win the replay, we'd have been better off without him. Big uh, moment in the first half when you were one 0 up. Referee awards a penalty. You have a player sent off. What was your take on it all? I, I, I'm not sure whether I, I, I want to comment on the officials. I mean, my mother used to tell me, Eric, if you've nothing good to say, say nothing at all. And I did speak to you last week about them. Um, look, we've looked at them at half time. We've looked at them at the end of the game. Uh, how how it's ascending off is beyond me. However, you know, there's a, there was a number of decisions. Uh, I don't really want to go there, Eric, because I'm sick and tired of talking about them. You know, go and talk about the likes of Will Patching or Pat Hoobin or, or whatever. You know what I mean? And I think that might be better. Uh, but it threatened, it threatened to end your interest in, in, in the cup here It did tonight. end it, Eric. Yeah, it ended it. Without doubt, we were 3-1 down. They could have gone on a 1-4 or 5-1. By the grace of God and a huge amount of endeavour and, and character, we got back in. But it did end it. 
you know, being blunt, and if we lose the replay, it's probably the last thing we want. However, I'm not going there. You know, I just I'm done with it as regards. You know, you've directed the question here to me on Monday night at the Bows. You've directed a question here again on Friday. Let's talk about the players. Talk about Sean Boyd when he came on the pitch. Talk about whatever David Webster or whatever may be. Tell me and, about and Sean Boyd's umpire. <laughs> <laughs> Look, come here. Fair play to him. He's waited. He's, 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 it's a couple of goals he scored in the cup. He got us out of jail down in, down in Limerick against Fairview. And look, he, he, he was a nuisance when he came on. And, and, and I'm delighted for, to put it that way to you. Except we're away from home in the replay against Dundalk, which, do you know, is a, is a time for celebration. Unfortunately, not. Vinny, how do you explain the uh, events over the last five or ten minutes of that game? Uh, I suppose the, the magic of the cup a little bit. Um, things go against you. Um, and, and Finn Harps had a good night here. I've been involved a few of them in this ground. Uh, full credit to them. They kept going. Ten men, loads of long balls. And we just didn't deal with it. And it, it's probably ultimately a lack of confidence in our club. Man advantage you would expect to, to see at home at that stage, wouldn't you? Yeah, well, you go 3-1 up, you expect to go on again and uh, win the game. So... Um, Sean Murray is, is clean on goal and he's probably taken out but that won't be the, the story it'll be about the madness and all of that stuff but look uh, no blaming referees tonight it's, it's about us we should have done a little bit better in terms of that last 30 seconds and do you put that down to maybe just the form that you're experiencing at the moment yeah, the lack the, of confidence maybe it's a bit of t- it's probably two things like it's a lack of fo- uh, lack of confidence and you know the difference is in that game you bring off a David McMillan off the bench or Daniel Kelly or Patrick McElhenney starts or whatever. We're just... The team, since we've come out of Europe, we've had eight, nine first-team players injured and it's it's catching up us on the pitch, particularly off the bench. I think benches win games and that's what's happened. Uh, but look, we're still in the cup and that's all that matters. Until we're knocked out, we, we have a chance. That's uh, Vinnie Perth speaking to Eric Weiss after Friday's game at Finn Park. A three-all draw. Terrific comeback by Finn Harps. We'll come on to Dundalk and their issues very shortly, Carl. But I guess, first of all, you have to give huge credit to Finn Harps for battling away, sticking at it, down to 10 men, 3-1 down. They fought to the bitter end and they forced a replay in the end. Yeah, it was a, an amazing comeback. And when you hear Ali speaking there, in his typical braggadocious, overconfident about the next, <laughs> he's. Uh, I've never seen someone so disappointed to go through to get a replay. But look, it's. I suppose that's the way Ali operates, and he makes sure his team are down to earth and hard working. But it's fantastic for them, and I think, as Finney said, the magic of the cup. It's certainly not, certainly not gone. And Sean Boyd's story is fantastic, and I think everyone's only too happy to see someone who struggled with injuries come back and I suppose have such a big say in a big game. I'm just Googling braggadocious, James. Can you just advise me here? Is it a braggadocious? Yeah. Ooh. I'm not too sure. I think that was from one of those uh, 1970. Was it? The, the, what was the, the, the parent? I can't even remember the woman's name anyway. One of those old, old, old shows on the television, maybe. That's what he's been looking at. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Ollie, listen, James. If, yeah, if you look remarkable. at Ollie and the way he's talking about it, I'm 100% sure if Ollie Horn gets to the cup final, okay, and they win the cup final, which gives them a place in Europe, he'll still tell people not to be talking about Europe and their chances of getting there. And that's just the way he is. And that's the, he's, just, he's just infectious the way he is. But he's, as he said, he's not going to talk about referees, but he did give the referee a good old kick while not talking about them. And unfortunately, it's another one of those games. He mentioned Fairview as well. Like they, have, they haven't even gone on the easiest of cup runs. Like you've got Sean Boyd scoring ninety fifth minute there into extra t- like we're in extra time. They do run out three 0 winners, but it's going to be difficult for them. They said they're saying again like they had 
Dundalk, they get Dundalk again Tuesday and Bowes are home on, or Bowes away on Friday, but the same way Bowes had Minute, they have Derry on Monday and then they play again on Friday. So both of them would be kind of in the same barrel, whereas they, they both have three tight, tight games. But listen, that's the magic of the Cup. I'm over the moon for Sean Boyd. The way he took the equalising goal, um, Carl definitely, like, his his calmness in that, that area between mm. the defenders and the, the, the goalkeeper to take it down with one touch and then just calmly slot it past the goalkeeper where many people way above his age, way above what he's gone through, maybe have panicked at that stage and, and fired it over or fired it wide. So I'm over the moon for him with it. And Carl, I mentioned the fact that he's been through so much. He was out for well over a year, an awful injury playing as a, a PFAI organised match over in England for players who are looking for contracts. He's had to really work to get back playing football. He isn't a regular starter by any stretch of the imagination for Finn Harp. So it was a terrific night for him to, to come off the bench and do what he did. But he's a player who's been through the mill. Yeah, he has been. And as you mentioned, to get, a, I suppose, an injury in what would have been his his last game possibly in a, in a PFAI camp before, I suppose, a contract was going to be offered to him was obviously such a heartache for him and he's been through as you said been through the mill for over a year now and he's I suppose finding it tough to get back to where he was but hopefully this gives him that shot of confidence that he needs and that self-belief back because when he first came onto the scene that's what made made him stand out to me was how confident he was and he wasn't afraid of anyone I remember he came up against Alan Bennett and he was throwing himself around into Alan Bennett who's a big lad so hopefully this gives him that shot, shot of confidence and I suppose he goes on from strength to strength. Hopefully he can get himself into the team and I suppose go back to that goal-scoring spree that he had when he first broke into the League of Ireland. Yeah, absolutely. In his uh, Shamrock Rovers days as well, a very potent threat. Carl, just on Dundalk, obviously Vinnie Perth referred to it there, confidence. Confidence being an issue within the camp. We know they're on a dreadful run in the league, second from bottom. It's been well documented. And yet, obviously there's a lot of injuries and Vinnie has also referred to those and he talked about the club being in a dark place. But you still, you look at their starting eleven, and there's still some very fine players in their, in their starting eleven as it stands. Obviously they're missing key players as well, but... That lack of confidence, how do you explain it or can it be explained? Yeah, look, well, first of all, you look at that starting 11 that played up in, in Finn Harps, it's a frighteningly good starting 11. It's a team that should be nowhere near where they are in the league and to be 3-1 up against 10 men, it's a game that they should have very easily seen out. But again, he, he touches on the confidence. It's possibly also the standards. That's something that drove... Dundalk for many a years that they had such a high standard and they were very demanding on each other. I suppose now with the, I suppose the new dressing room that they have this year, them standards have seemed to drop. And at the moment, their confidence is on the floor because to not see out a game, I suppose, in that comfortable of a position is frightening because everyone knows Van Harps. They're a team who battle and. I suppose they'll try and break you down I suppose by just breaking the door down they won't be have, have too much guile about it but they're a team that if you're a 3-1 up against you'd be thinking you know what we'll, we'll comfortably see this out because they're not the most I suppose creative team they're very much just okay we'll throw the kitchen sink at it and you'd like to think that your defenders will stand up and your team will stand up in a situation like that but obviously Dundalk are so low in confidence that they weren't able to and generally speaking, James, when, you know, a side earns a replay and it's back at their home ground, you know, it tilts the outcome perhaps in their favour. 
But how do you see it, the replay on Tuesday night, Dundalk and Finn Harps? I think this is going to be a very, very tight game again. I don't know if... Um, I don't know if Finney will have players back that he can, as, as Carl said, like, you look at that starting 11, like, I, I think it was, was it Keith Tracy was on with the Saturday Sport and he was yeah. talking about Manchester United against um, young boys during the week and thinking, like, that that's a game you should see out and this exact same kind of thing, a 3-1 up, that's a game, Dundalk, no matter who's on the pitch or how confident their level is, they should have been able to see it out. So maybe that will be in the back of their mind that, you know, when we're ahead here, we can fall off a bit. But hopefully, if Finn Harps go at this, this is going to be another very tight game. They've given them a number of tight games in Oriel over the last number of years as well. Even when Dundalk were flying high, Harps seemed to be um, getting one over at the Memorial Park. So it's going to be tight. And the reason I think it's going to be tight is that Finn Harps, it's, it's, a, it's a free shot at nothing really. But for Dundalk, this cup is realistically the only way they're getting European football next year. So they have to push on, and if they don't push on now, I, I, I fear for them for the rest of the season. Shep, they've quietly tiptoed into the semi-finals. Watford, they needed an injury time winner to see off UCD. That game was always going to be tight. Now, I didn't get to see it, but judging by the comments of an awful lot of people, apparently it was one of the games of the season. That young UCD side are going so well. We had Andy Myler, the coach on of UCD, on the, on the podcast last week, and he was really looking forward to the game against Watford. By all accounts, it was a terrific game, but Watford are in the semi-finals, and their progression and improvement under Mark Bertram continues, doesn't it? Yeah, look, if Mark Bertram can keep them up and get them to even a cup semi-final for me, I think he's manager of the season because when he came in, let's not forget when Kevin Sheedy had left, they were, I suppose they looked a shell of the team that they are now. They were, for me, they were all but wrote off to go down and to get them where they are now, it's it's some achievement and he has them playing great attacking football. And obviously in a game, I suppose, where you go you go behind twice to come back and obviously score in the last minute. He obviously has great belief in the team and I suppose they're playing very much for Mark Bertram at the moment and I believe it was a very tight affair with Liam Carrigan having a fantastic game. So it was a, a fantastic opportunity now for Waterford to go on and hopefully do something special for them. Yeah, and no issues really, James, for Bowes. We expected that it would be a bridge too far really for Maynooth University Town. Bowes comfortably through by four goals to nil. Yeah, comfortably true. Obviously, another red card in that game for Alex Kelly, but you, you know you expected it. Buckley st- starting off the score and seventeen minutes in, and then it just after that red card kind of snowballed out of a three 0 down by half time. Um, even you know you're really on a hiding to not when Keith Ward has scored against you. I don't know. I can't even remember the last time Keith Ward scored. <laughs> harsh. <laughs> it's harsh, but even he will say it's true. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, no, listen, Bows are ticking along nicely. They're picking up results that they need to pick up. Um, we'll see who they get in the semi-final. The semi-final's going to be interesting to see who they get now. Um, they're true, and that's all they have to do. They have to beat. They can only beat the team they have in front of them, and they did it comfortably. Yeah, and the semi-final draw, James, is happening? Uh, the semi-final draw will be live on RT2 during our St. Pats versus Shamrock Rovers coverage on Friday evening. Yeah, which is something to really look forward to. Speaking of Pats... And speaking of red cards, two red cards in that game at Richmond Park. Sam Bone, as I mentioned, going off very, very early in that game. Connor Crowley of Wexford also seeing red. Two goals in that game for Dara Burns. And generally speaking, you'd have to say, Shep, the semi-finals really set up. I mean, that draw on Friday is going to be really exciting with Watford in there, Bowes, Pats and either Dundalk or Finharps. It's, it's going to be fascinating. Yeah, there's certainly no easy draw. Anyway, you look at it, it's going to be... 
I suppose, uh, setting up a very, I suppose, appetising semi-final and you look at who we could possibly have in the final. If For me, I'd love to see, a, a, I suppose, a Pat's Bowes. I think it would bring a, a great crowd. And for me, they're probably the two most exciting teams that are left in it at this moment. So, obviously, you look at young Dara Burns, who, I suppose, stepped up to the plate to get his team through. He's had a fantastic season, I suppose, a break, break, breakthrough season now. And he's one that probably you'd be looking at next year going, he could really step up to the mark. And I suppose for this year, for his first year, he's had a fantastic year. Yeah, absolutely. So the draw for the semi-finals to take place on Friday night. Well, mention of St. Pat's. I'm delighted to say we're joined on the RT Soccer Podcast by Lee Desmond, the St. Pat's defender. How are you doing, Lee? I'm good, lad. Thanks for having me. No problem, no problem. Listen, I mentioned at the start of the podcast, you, you suffered that very nasty head injury against Waterford last month. You were on the pitch, lying on the deck for 10 minutes. People were very, very worried at the time, and obviously you had to be taken to hospital. How's your recovery been, and what was the extent of the, the collision? Um, the recovery has been a bit up and down, to be honest. So, um, you know, the night it happened, I got the all clear with the scans and stuff like that, and and then it was the next week or two, you know, I got the usual concussion symptoms, which is normal. And, and then I got better and I, I tried to do a bit of like light training by myself on the bike and jogging and stuff like that. And then my symptoms came back, which which is a bit of a setback, but it's still be expected with concussions. It can happen a lot of the time. So, you know, I'm on demand and I think I'm getting better again. Hopefully in the next week or two, I'll be back fully. I was just going to ask you, yeah, are you hopeful in the next couple of weeks or is it perhaps a little bit longer than that? What's what's yeah, the time frame think, on it, do you think? I think it will be sooner than expected, to be honest. Because, uh, like, you know, when it happened, you know, I was saying to myself, I'll be back for a Sligo match, which was two weeks ago, and probably being a bit hopeful. But, you know, when you look back, it was such a bad knock and, and everything that happened afterwards. But um, six weeks probably is, like, a, a standard... Uh, recovery time for a concussion so you know hopefully I'll get back training this weekend and you never know then in the next week or two I shall be back playing and Lee can you tell us what happened or what you can recall of what happened because obviously it was quite late in the match against Waterford at Richmond Park and it it was a collision really with with your own teammate Vitislav Yaros the goalkeeper wasn't it it was yeah now I remember everything to be fair so the ball bounced in the box and uh, I tried to head it out for a corner and then Obviously, Veed smashed into me, um, and then I was lights out. But as soon as I woke back up, you know, I think I was out for, I'm told, 90 seconds to two minutes. And once I woke back up, I remember everything. And it was scary for the first minute or two because, you know, it's it's basically your brain resetting after being off. So, you know, I couldn't see or I couldn't speak. And trying to move my arms and legs for a couple of seconds, and they wouldn't. So I didn't know. I didn't really know what has happened to me. But that all came back and the physios reassured me that would come back and it did. And, and then I was in the ambulance and in James's within a few minutes, in James's hospital within a few minutes. And uh, yeah, like, that's it. Like, I've, I haven't had any sort of memory issues or, or any problems like that, just sort of headaches that's been keeping me back at the minute. Yeah, and at the time, you know, you lose your speech, no speech, your vision's gone. That's very scary. Yeah, it is. It was scary. It was scary, but... No, I could hear uh, the physio's voices and I could hear the manager's voice as well. And when I heard his voice, I knew something serious that Stephen was on the pitch, you know. But uh, no, in fairness, like I, I'm in the best of hands. I was actually in with a neurologist in the Matter Hospital on Wednesday and 
he uh, he was just giving me the all clear and stuff like that. So, you know, it's just for peace of mind, really. So once my symptoms go, I can kick back on and, and uh, get back playing again. Yeah, and you mentioned the symptoms. I mean, are they continuing to linger, or are they easing off as as time progresses? Or how are you feeling? There's no pattern to it. So some days I'm fine, and then it comes back. And some days they're very light, and some days they're worse than others. But as I said, like that's that's standard for a concussion. It can go on a bit longer, and you know it's a bit frustrating because there's no definite time frame. Like just for example, if you had a hamstring injury, you know a physio can tell you, you know you're out for two three weeks whatever but yeah. it's difficult with concussion especially when it's such a bad knock like the one i got you know it's up to me to be honest and and say when when all my symptoms are go because it's, it's definitely not something you want to come back too early with and it must be very tough you know for for members of your family i don't know if members of your family maybe were at the game but when they got that phone call to, to hear what happened yeah my dad is there every week but that week he was he was watching it from home so he seen it happen on the on the stream and he just grabbed his car key straight away and started driving he didn't know where he was driving but I think he was probably heading for the stadium initially and he got a phone call then to say I was in James's hospital but yeah they did they feared the worst to be honest yeah uh, it's a very scary time for everybody and obviously on the night and since then I guess the reaction of people and people around St. Pat's because it is a very family orientated club that surely has been a help to you has it? Oh absolutely like I'm not on social media myself but I'm well aware of all the support I got on the night and even in the stadium since and you know I've been in every day with the players and training keeping myself involved and doing what I can to help and you know the lads are so supportive as well that's one thing about the team this year we have a really good team spirit and the togetherness is really good, which is something that the manager put a big emphasis on on the start of the season and it's shown in the performances um, over the course of the season. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very aware of all the support from the fans and my teammates and family and friends and stuff. So that was very overwhelming. Yeah. Shep, did you ever suffer a serious injury like that, you know, in terms of concussion? Uh, no, thankfully not. I never went in for headers. That's why. <laughs> 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 I uh, no, I'm for, I've I've had a, a heart operation before when I was playing, so I know that. I suppose all the, I suppose the thoughts that are going through Lee's head, I suppose for the last few weeks of, I suppose the frustration first of all is something that will very much be there. Of, I need to get back and trying to push it, but I suppose the only. I suppose the only bit of advice I could possibly give Lee would be to listen to the doctors they they followed their advice and go by their timeline i know it might be frustrating at times but it's very much i suppose they're looking out for your best interest and i remember when i was playing i was out running when i shouldn't have been when i had i suppose a problem with my heart and i look back at it and think you know what i probably should just listen to their advice and i I, i'm sure that leo will come back from strength to strength and i'm sure he's looking up at this semi-final thing and he'd love to be back for the final and make sure that he's on the pitch and I suppose by following the guidelines that are there from at the moment, I'm sure he's very much in line to do that. Yeah, and I can relate to that a lot, to be honest, when you said, you know, going for runs when you're not supposed to, because, yeah. you know, you keep saying to yourself, oh, I'm out, I'm out a few weeks now, I'm out four or five weeks, I'm losing fitness, and after having a decent season, I'm still within the chance of winning the league and the cup, and you want to come back ready to go again, but that's it, you just have to follow the advice, and... Because if you come back too early, especially with a head injury and you get a second knock, you know, we've all heard the stories before, so you really have to be careful and, and follow the advice. Yeah, Lee, are you talking there about 
doing some running, doing some bike work and stuff like that. Is there anything particularly you're noticing as far as stress on your body that's giving you lightheadedness or more pain to the head? Is is it just a case of once the heartbeat gets up to a certain rate, you're starting to feel it? Or is it just a case of it will happen when it happens? No, there's nothing in particular. I mean, when I said I had that little setback a couple of weeks ago, it was when I got home. I felt brilliant doing it. And then I mm-hmm. got home and, and relaxed a bit. And then all the symptoms hit me all at once again, like which was a bit frustrating. But, you know, like I said, it's it's normal. It happens a lot with concussion. And, you know, the next time I try it, it mightn't come back. So you just have to keep trying and trying again. And, and then, you know, I'm sure it'll be all behind me now in the next week or two. And you watched back the video of the incident. Was that hard to watch? Yeah, I've seen it many times now and fair play to the cameraman for turning it off for for most mm. of what happened but you can I seen the first obviously fourteen, fifteen seconds of it and yeah, the first time I watched it back it was frightening seeing my teammates' reactions and and the physio sprinting on. You can even hear the fans, the noise from the fans, like it's just strange and some of the lads on the team said it was probably the worst thing they've ever seen on a football pitch and you now I'm just hearing stories from different people's point of view and it's just it's a crazy situation, to be honest. Well, as they say, as as Shep said, there you got to follow the doc's advice and take it nice and easy. Are you a are you a difficult spectator? Do you find it hard to watch games that Pats are involved in? Have you been to a couple of the Pats games since since what happened happened? Yeah, I've been at all the games. Do you know what? I'm probably more nervous up in the stand than I am on the pitch <laughs> because you can't you can't affect the game yourself. Um, but the lads have been doing well. Uh, Obviously, Jack Hickman's come into the fence. Young James, a banquet as well, got his debut a few weeks ago. And Sam Bowen, Paddy Barr, Ian Birmingham, the lads have done well at the back. Um, we had a great win on Friday night. And I'm just delighted we're through to the next round of the cup because uh, I really want to be back for the semi-final of that. Yeah, we're going to talk about the the women's match, the friendly against Australia, very shortly with Lisa Fallon. But Lisa's been listening in. Lisa, what have you made of what you've been listening to the last few minutes? Yeah, look, I think um, it's great to hear, firstly, that Lee is on the road to recovery. I think, you know, everybody was quite shocked and very concerned for his well-being when we saw it happen. And I remember during the Euros, I was actually on commentary for the Christian Eriksen incident. And, and when an incident like that happens on the football pitch, you know, it's the first thing you you just hope is that the player is okay and I think generally you can tell from the reaction of the players around the severity of the injury and you know I think it's it's a real it highlights how important the medical staff are on, on a match day um, and, and the roles that they play so uh, because once once the player kind of gets into the rehab system it's generally you know they're v- fairly really well looked after and, and that that part is 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 generally the you know the, the the easier part from a medical perspective but but from a player's perspective it's the tougher part because yeah. that's probably where you have to be patient and where you you feel that you're okay and and as the lads both said Shep as well that you know you're kind of bursting to go again and that's you know as a coach or a manager that's the part that players find the most frustrating is when they feel they're ready to go and and they're just not quite there yet and you have to mind them a little bit but um but yeah look it's um thankfully we don't see too many of those incidents in the game um and uh and like i say it's it's just really good to hear that he's he's well on the road to recovery and 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 hopefully you know we're all looking forward to seeing him back playing soon yeah, absolutely. Because, because in a way, I'm tempted, Lee, to ask you about the big game on Friday night. But it's very hard to ask you because it must be absolutely 
irking you to the, to, to the nth degree not to be involved in a big clash on Friday night against Shamrock Rovers. It's first playing second. And, you know, they're the, they're the kind of occasions that players like you thrive upon. And you're going to have to, to watch it. And as you said, you're a nervous spectator. So I don't think I should ask you, but it's a huge game. But you'd love to be taking part in that, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. I've said it before. They're the biggest games for a past player when, when you play Shamrock Rovers, big Dublin derby game. And, and the rivalry that the two clubs have, and especially this season, it's first against second. And it's a massive game for us to try get a bit closer to Rovers again because obviously we've, we have dropped a few points over the last few weeks. But... No, this is a big chance for us. It's not it's not a must win game and to be fair, the manager never before games, not once this season, as he said, you have to win. You know, the emphasis is on performance and, and attitude and work rate and nine times out of ten, you know, the the win will come if you do those things. But um I'd love to be out there but uh, I'll be there supporting the lads anyway. Absolutely. Well listen, we wish you the very best of luck and continued good health to you. Take your time, recover well and we'll see you back on the pitch in due course. Lee thanks Desmond, many much, thanks. Cheers. Thank you very much. That's uh, Lee Desmond of St. Pat's. And uh, as we mentioned, Lisa Fallon is with us because Ireland, of course, under Vera Powell, taking on Australia on Tuesday night in a friendly international uh, kickoff. Seven o'clock It's live on RT2 television. I guess it must be noted, Lisa, that it's an important game for Vera Powell because obviously you've got the, the, the qualifiers taking place next month. Two big games to start with as well against Sweden and Finland. And Australia coming to town, they're a big side with a lot of quality players. But is, is there a bit of pressure even going into a friendly on Vera Powell, given the way that Ireland have performed of late in terms of results? Seven defeats in a row. Yeah, I think, um, look, at this level of the game, and I've said it before when I spoke about the men's team, you know, the senior level of the game and the and first team level of the game really is all about winning and doing everything that you can with the players that you have available to to achieve those results because that's ultimately once you move out of development football and you move into first team football and senior football that is what you are measured on as a manager and a coach and you know I know um you know Ireland have played against a lot of tough opposition but at the same time you do it is important to get wins it is important to get positive results um for team morale to show the progress in what you're doing with the team um and even as a coach you want to see you know if what you're doing with the team is working and and you know the the, the best measure of that is ultimately performances but those performances have to translate into results because that's what defines every manager and every head coach's reign. So, yeah, I think, look, um, you know, the, the games that Ireland have had over the last two years, most of the games we would have been probably expected not to win in terms of when you talk about a doubleheader against Germany in the qualifiers, you know, the Denmark game, the friendly this year, earlier this year, the Belgium games against two very strong opponents. We only lost 1-0 on both occasions. So now is the time that we have to start to see those performances transferring into results. Um, and results in the qualifying campaign because I think you can't get away from the fact that the last campaign really, really was one that got away. Um, the, 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 the results against Ukraine and Greece really defined that, um, 
that whole campaign and they were teams we should have beaten. Um, and we know we should have beaten them because you look at the likes of Northern Ireland who, in fairness to them, they've qualified for the Euros next year. They're on their way because they beat Ukraine 4-1 on aggregate. And I, it, I can't accept that the Republic of Ireland couldn't beat Ukraine if Northern Ireland could beat Ukraine. So ultimately, yes, at this point, we do have to start to see the results coming through, albeit Australia, you know, a top ranked team in the world. Um, and again, they're going to be really stellar opposition and very good opposition to prepare us for the game against Sweden next month in, in the World Cup qualifiers. But um, once you come out of those two games, really, we want to see good performances and, and not a write off that you just assume that we won't win those games, because I still believe mm. Irish teams throughout the years have always been able to get results against big teams. So I'd still like to see us even try and get to that point and even get a result against either Australia or Sweden and then that we move those results into the next three games which are really, really going to be absolutely crucial. James, you were out with the Irish squad because you're, you're working on the Match 40 television. What was, to, to borrow that well-worn, cliched question, what was the mood in the camp like this morning? Do you know what? It's, it's actually a lot different than it has been over the last year and a half, two years. Um the girls seem to be they're really happy with where they are. I think the fact that the game, some might say that the game on Friday being cancelled was uh, of detriment to them because they need they, they probably wanted a good game and get the campaign off to a good start. That would have been Georgia, but, yeah. Yeah, but the issue is that they then didn't spend yesterday travelling back to Ireland ahead of this game. So they've had a good camp where they've been here for the whole camp without having to travel away. So they're gelling together. I think the restrictions lifting a bit as well has helped with a bit of morale around the, the team because previous to this, if they were down having dinner, some each one was sitting at a table each, where now they're in their groups and they're out and they're having walks around and their their free time is their free time instead of being locked up in the bedroom. So that's very, very good. But as Lisa said there, some of our performances have been very good, but it hasn't been... <laughs> they haven't kept it to the same level across all performances. If you look at the last group, yes, they were very, very close. You had Katie McCabe's missed penalty in Ukraine, which you would suggest that if you score that, we go on to win that game. But that Ukraine game, but most importantly, and Lisa mentioned this, the Greece result mm. was the one that kind of put bed to the group, as it were, despite how close we came. I asked, I, asked, uh, I was with the players today, as I said, and I asked one question about... Northern Ireland and them qualifying and them getting off to a good result on Friday against Luxembourg, is that something they look at and think that should have been us and, and yes, some of them do look at it that way and then the others are like, we, we just can't look at it that way, we just have to bed down and get this done and if you look at as Lisa mentioned, the friendlies we're playing over the last little while nearly every one of them are in the top 20 in the world, so the, the opposition we're putting ourselves against are top quality opposition so a result against one of those teams will do the world of good for the confidence within the squad, but it will also show that we are going in the right direction. And I think if, if you're to be brutally honest with the way the last campaign went, we seem to go in the right direction for 45 minutes in one game and then drop it off. And Lisa, the test as, as being a coach like she is, that's the performances we need to keep going. And it just seemed to ebb and flow during the last campaign. And I think that's where the fear might lie against again ahead of this World Cup qualifying. So, Lisa, given what James has just said, is that what Vera will be looking for—a consistency of performance? Obviously, a, a positive result would be a big boost as well. Yeah, I think like even if you look back to the Iceland games, the double header against Iceland um, earlier this year, 
Um, again, I think in both games we had a good one half and a poor other half. Um, the first half of the first game we were really poor in the first half um, and we were very good in the second and then in the second game we were very good in the first half and really poor in the second half. So um, what you have to do is we have to start to see consistencies in performance and the identity of the team. So the way that Vera wants the team to play, are we getting good at that? And are we now starting to get results with that way? Um, because she's, you know, she's been there a long time and she's got a really good staff around her. And, you know, so we really at some point the good performances or, or the, mm. the performances have to translate into results um and and that's that's the piece we need to see and to be fair to the players you know they're it's been a tough time with you know over the the course of the covid campaign you know the covid yeah. campaign if we call it that where you know we haven't had supporters in the ground and and we will have that back now on tuesday night um in Tallis Stadium when Australia visit and it'll be the same again for the Sweden game. So you're kind of, I suppose you get to a point where you've got a, a campaign under your belt. Vera, you know, to be fair to her, when she came in at the first, she probably had a lot of learning to do with the players and the, the players that were available to her, the strengths and weaknesses of those players, what type of system she felt really suited the team. Um, but then there comes a point where you've You've got a couple of years under your belt. You've got a massive amount of friendlies to be able to try stuff out. So now, and the, the supporters are back. So now we're kind of almost into the, the you know, things off the pitch are going well. Great, uh, the, you know, the Sky deal has been announced. The players have equal pay. You're almost at the point now where you're kind of going, well, there's no excuses from now. Now we just have to hit the ground running, start transforming these, get these performances more consistently for longer periods in the game and get, ultimately get results because this team and this squad is 100% good enough to be going to a major championship. And I firmly believe that. Um, and like I say, I'm still a little, you know, there's still a bit of me gutted, um, a big part of me gutted that we're not going to be at the Euros next year. Um, because I do feel it was a massive missed opportunity for, for this particular group of players. But I do feel that, you know, we, this group that we have, Yes, Sweden are a very good team, but all the other teams in this group are, are teams that Ireland can and should be able to beat and get good results. And we should be, I really believe we should be able to get out of this group. Okay, well, it's got to be a significant test, isn't it? Because we mentioned Australia, that the calibre of the opposition, obviously Sweden in the qualifying group, beaten finalists at the Olympic Games in Tokyo. Australia, of course, were there, made it to the semi-finals, And of course, in the Australian squad, Sam Kerr, top quality striker and you'd have worked with her at Chelsea I presume yeah yeah so Sam Sam came in um I think we were we were away on a on an away trip um when we got the news that that Sam would be joining the team and it was a great boost and albeit she wouldn't be able to come in until the January but um you know when she did come in she certainly you know you could see straight away she's a top quality player she is um uh, and a fairly, pro, you know, she's a prolific goal scorer. The way she moves, the way she anticipates, she can create something from nothing. Um, a very complete player, but she's also, you know, she's she's a very selfish player in and around the box, and she wants to take those chances. But what's particularly good about her is, and we will have seen that in her relationship with Fran Kirby, and you know, with Chelsea last year, the partnership that they formed. 
is that she is brilliant at recognising when somebody else is in a better position and, and being the, the assist provider. So she you can deal with her in one sense, um, but there, there's so many different facets to her game. She has a really, really good eye for goal. Um, she's a very clever player um, and she has um, great awareness in terms of being able to get into the box at just the right time. So she will be a handful for the Irish defenders, that is for sure. But um, again, it's a great opportunity. And, and look, the likes some of our players will have played against Sam Kerr because they'll have been playing against her in the WSL last season. So they'll know the quality that she brings. And quite a few players in, in the Australia and even the Sweden squads, you know, there will be a bit of familiarity. Magda Eriksson um, and Jana Andersson, who both play for Chelsea, they're both in the Sweden squad. Um, and these are all players that, the, you know, the Irish girls, the Katie McCabe's, Louise Quinn's, you know, all these players will, they will all know these players quite well because they're players and um, they're coming up against week in, week out. But yes, it is going to be um, a tough task. But at the same time, it's a great opportunity for Ireland to put themselves against this type of player. Um, probably more so the players in the Women's National League here who don't come up against players of that calibre week in, week out, um, but certainly showed in the games against Denmark and Belgium that very well equipped to, to deal with them when the structure of the team is good. Um, like Jamie Finn was brilliant in, in, in those games. So, like, you know, there's, as I say, there's no excuses. There is... Mm a great opportunity now for us to come up against good quality opposition, show that we can restrict them. Um, but, you know, we need to start taking our chances um, and also, you know, showing what the identity of this team is and, and putting down a marker um, going into this qualifying campaign. OK, we leave it there. Many thanks. Lisa Fallon, as always, live on RT2 television on Tuesday evening, that friendly between the Republic of Ireland and Australia. Uh, let's go back to domestic soccer results from the last week since uh, our last podcast. Finn Harps won, Bohemians 2. Then on Tuesday of last week, Sligo Rovers 2, Dundalk 1. And on Saturday night at the showgrounds, Sligo Rovers 0, Shamrock Rovers 1. The only goal scored by Rory Gaffney. I mentioned, Shep, that uh, Shamrock Rovers had moved six points clear. And obviously as well, they have a, a, a game less played than St. Pat's, but it really sets up Friday's game, doesn't it, which is live, as we mentioned, on RT2 television. And I know Lee was you know, saying that it's not necessarily must-win for Pat's, but it is because a six-point advantage for Shamrock Rovers at this point of the season with the game in hand, the margins, you know, well, you'd have to say if Shamrock Rovers get a positive result, they're nailed on. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a must-win for Pat's. And I... I've, look, I've watched a lot of the Pats Rovers games this year and they've been very close in some stages. But for me, Pats need to go out and attack the game. Anytime they've either gone ahead or if they sat back in the game, they've allowed Shamrock Rovers grow into it. And when they do that, Shamrock Rovers look the better team. I'd just love to see Stevie O'Donnell say, we're going to attack Shamrock Rovers and we're going to press them high. Anytime they have pressed high, they've got great, I suppose, great results from it. It's just when they sit back and go that little bit more defensive and maybe show, show a little lack of belief is when they, I suppose, they don't come out on top. So it is a must-win game. And if Shamrock Rovers get the win, I, I do believe that it's all but wrapped up in the league. Yeah. What are you expecting, James, at Richmond Park? I, I'm going to go with what Shep here, said here about Lee earlier on. I can't believe there's no way that during training this week, Steve O'Donnell hasn't gone into them and said, we need to win this game. Because they do need to win this game. If they don't win this game, that's the league title over and done with. Um, they pushed them close before. I know a couple of weeks ago we were t thinking if they get a result in this game. But these are the games they need to be winning. 
a, a great game on Friday night. Get at them, get tight to them. And the smaller pitch as well, squeeze them into areas. When you're moving through transitions of ball, move it quickly. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping they get a win because it'd be good to see this title being pushed as far down the, down the line as we can before someone runs away with it. And unfortunately for Sligo Rovers, despite getting two good results on the bounce, um, they, they seem that the game the other night where Rory Gaffney's goal, I think that's put paid to them coming anywhere near and pushing. So fingers crossed, I'm expecting a really, really good game of football. And um, I, I think if Pat's come out on top, we still have a title race on. Yeah, Monday night, Bowes against Derry City at Delhi Park. That's a big, big game in terms of pursuit of Europe for both those sides. And then on Friday, apart from the, the game we mentioned, Pats against Shamrock Rovers at Richmond Park live on RT2 television. Waterford against Drada. Waterford bidding to, to continue to try and climb away from the foot of the Premier Division. Derry City against Longford Town. Dundalk playing Sligo Rovers yet again. And Bohemians against Finn Harps. Apart from the Pats-Shamrock Rovers game there, James, has anything catch the eye there for you? Uh, I think that Waterford-Drada game, as you mentioned, um, I think Mark Burcham, as soon as he got the team he wanted on the pitch, they've been doing really, really well. I watched, I was at the, the game you were talking about earlier, the Pats versus Waterman, where Lee got his injury, and Prince and Junior were absolutely brilliant during it. I, I loved watching them. They seem very young and very willing to put their body into positions and stuff like that. I think that's going to be an absolute cracking game. I think that's a good one. Um, Dundalk and Sligo. I don't know if Sligo want to see Dundalk again, to I tell know. you the truth. Yeah. But coming off the, yeah. yeah, but coming off the back of the, the replay on Tuesday night, it'll be an interesting one for Dundalk because if they lose this one, then th- th- they will be struggling to catch the coattails of the teams ahead of them. What about you, Shep? Apart from the Pats Shamrock Rovers game, are you intrigued by any any of the other fixtures? Yeah, I suppose. Look, I, I'd be more so intrigued by the Dundalk Sligo game more than anything. As if Dundalk don't win this game, it's they're, they're, I suppose they're starting to slowly but surely run out of games to not only just catch the teams ahead of them but there's going to be a big gap that starts to appear between like if Waterford get a win and if Finn Harps can get a point or even three points against Bowes it's it's really looking bleak for this Dundalk team and it's for me it's almost hard to believe like that Dundalk team where and not just that Dundalk team this Dundalk team where a team that set the standard for so many years in the league and just had such high standards and demands and I suppose ran over teams for the majority of uh, of their games and to see where they are at now and if they don't get a win here it's it's really looking bleak for them okay first division fixtures at the weekend on friday at lone town against wexford cabin Tilly against the clear leaders shelburne treaty united taking on cork city at marketsfield galway United against UCD at Eamon DC Park and there's one match then on Saturday with Cove Ramblers taking on Bray Wanderers at St Colman's Park and matches in the Women's National League all taking place on Saturday Cork City against DLR Ways uh, Bohemians against Piedmont United Piedmont the leaders Galway against Treaty United and Wexford Youths against Athlone Town at Ferry Park that game kicking off at half past six on Saturday evening lads before we wrap it up he you know he was very much a player before all of our time, really. Jimmy Greaves, who uh, passed away, news emerging on Sunday, one of the most prolific strikers in the history of English football, sadly passing away at the age of 81. Remarkable goal-scoring record, especially with Tottenham, 266 goals. Played for them for, what, the best part of 10 years, 61 to 1970. 
obviously a big player for England as well, didn't feature in the World Cup final. I think a lot of us perhaps knew him best as a TV presenter with uh, Saint and Greasy, but a, a remarkable player, James. Absolutely remarkable. Um, I am one of those people who only remembers him from Saint and Greasy. I, I can put my hand up to that. I'm not that old. I'm old, but I'm not that old. <laughs> but I do remember Satan Greasy, and he seemed to have a wonderful knowledge of the game. Um, I spoke to a couple of people this morning who would have seen him play and known him play. My father-in-law in particular would, would be the type of person who would have seen him play and thought he was actually just an absolute silky smooth player. As you mentioned, his goal scoring is just absolutely phenomenal for a man of, of that era to score that amount of goals. And I think, was he West Ham as well, maybe, Adrian? West Ham and Spurs, Chelsea, yeah. yeah. West Ham at the back end of his career, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so um, totally well, he, he didn't move much out of London, to tell you the truth, but <laughs> what he yeah. did while he was there, it was absolute quality. And uh, it's sad to see greats like himself passing away. Grew up very close to Upton Park. Um, 44 goals, Shep, in 57 internationals for England. I, I think it was always a lingering hurt for him, though, that he wasn't part of England's big day in 1966 because he had played in the group games, got injured, and obviously Jeff Hurst came in and got the hat-trick in the final. But And, and back then, only the, uh, the players who participated got medals on the day, so he, he didn't get a World Cup winner's medal until a few years ago when the entire squad were presented with medals. But... Your your thoughts on Jimmy Greaves, the late Jimmy Greaves? Yeah, look, obviously, I suppose before my time as well. But when I when I seen his stats today, I couldn't believe how frighteningly good they were. As you said, forty four goals and fifty seven games, and I'm just looking at his under twenty trees as well, thirteen and twelve. I suppose what took them so long to call him up? It's uh, <laughs> frighteningly good stats, and I think they're saying now that he's possibly going to go down as one of England's best ever goal scorers. So, if not an out and out terms of a goal scorer, the best. So. It's a, obviously a frightening career of, and you look at the stats at Spurs, 220 goals in 321 games, which again is, I suppose, frightening again when you look at the way we speak about the Ronaldos and Messis, that, them sort of stats are right up there with them. Okay, well, listen, we leave it there. Rest in peace, Greavesy. Many thanks to Carl for joining us and also to James O'Toole. We'll be back next week. And a quick reminder, the live game on RT2 television this coming Friday, Pats against Shamrock Rovers. Until the next time, bye-bye. 